Like I mentioned earlier on, today we begin our reading plan. For the next 16 weeks, we'll be reading the entire New Testament. And the goal is that at the end of these 16 weeks, something should have happened to our lives, individually, but also as a church. Because if you go through the Bible, you will notice that several passages in the Bible invite us to read Scripture in a community. But even when it is written to an individual, in the case of Theophilus, always there is an invitation to the community as well. Therefore, as we come together as a church body to study the entire New Testament, it is not just for the sake of checking a box that, hey, it is cool. As a congregation, we have read through the entire New Testament. No. But instead, we will look back and say, God, we praise you because you've used your word to shape our lives. You've transformed us. You've called us into something new and greater than ourselves. That indeed, we're able to become the alternate Chicago. That we've become the agent of transformation from here, near, and far. But only if we come with a posture ready to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to share something very briefly about the place of Scripture in our lives and the claim that God had made about Scripture. Read with me 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is God's word to us. I'll start reading from verses 15. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All, other translations will have it, every. I don't want to go into the details of why the usage of these two words. Just excuse me for that. But all scripture is God breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Perhaps you are asking, why do we need to devote an entire six weeks reading and applying the New Testament to our lives? Why should I even trust the Bible? Why do I need the scripture when I can turn to reason and experience for guidance and solution about life situations and circumstances? In these verses, we see Paul giving us three fundamental truths about the scripture. One, Paul said, scripture is given to us. It's a gift to us. But not just a gift to us. This gift is useful. It's profitable. So that we might be equipped for something greater than us. Three reasons. It is a gift. It has a gain in it. It has a goal. This is the summary of Paul's message to us in this particular passage that you have just right now. This is written to Timothy. And Paul is drawing his attention that, look, Timothy, this is what God wants you to understand that this scripture that you have known from infancy, it's a gift 
to you and to others. But not just only that, it is useful. As a matter of fact, the emphasis in this text has to do with the usefulness of Scripture, not necessarily the nature of Scripture. Because Paul had assumed already, Timothy is aware of the nature of Scripture. Hence, in verse 15, he said, this Scripture had led you to salvation. Therefore, I don't need to bring that up again. But I want to tell you something that I consider it fundamentally important because of the challenges you are facing. As a believer, but also as a minister of the gospel. In other words, as a believer, with the priesthood of all believers, as we so claim, it means every one of us is a minister. Therefore, whatever way or whichever way you want to look at this, you are invited into the story of Timothy. All scripture is given to us. It's a gift from the living God. The text tells us that this scripture is given to God. Therefore, it means it has a divine origin. What we have in our hands is a gift from God. It is not a reflection of women or men of God. However, we want to look at the men in scripture, the women in scripture. What they wrote was not their own reflection. It is what God gave them. The Bible came to us from God through a process called inspiration. The word translated inspiration here, it's the word I just mentioned, God's breath. And inspiration simply means God's influence on selected individuals with different personalities, different experiences, different abilities, different intellect to communicate God's will and mind to us. In other words, God's influence exerted upon ordinary men and women like you and I to accomplish a divine purpose. And what is the divine purpose? To bring forth the gift to us. The gift which is the word of God that brings transformation, that brings change in our life, that will help us to live better in this world, that will help us to answer the questions of life. Elsewhere, Peter said very similar thing. He said, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The gift of scripture should interest us because of its source. It has divine origin, like I mentioned earlier on. Friends, I'm sure you must have bought something new and you discover that there is an addition to what you have bought originally. And that is the instruction, man. If you are like me, I don't like reading those long stories because they waste my time. I want to go straight to the product and use it. But I soon discover that, no, I'm a dummy. The only way to save my time is to read the instruction. If I read the instruction, I save more time. I don't need to come back again to the manual and begin to trace, oh, where is this? Where is that? The manual has been given to us by God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. 
the one that instituted relationships and interactions among men and women. Can you come back to the manual? Or you want to start from the manual? I invite you to start from the manual, from the instruction book. It is a gift to you. All scripture is given to us because it is given by God. Its origin means its authority. It's coming from God, therefore it is authoritative because of God. It is God's word. And therefore it is authoritative. If I'm reminded of a story of a preacher who was running late in, in his appointment. And he drove into a parking lot thinking that he's going to find an empty spot. He drove around 10 times. Unfortunately, the only spot he could locate was the one that had a sign, no biking. He put a note on his window, late for my appointment. Then under that note, he, he said, try 10 times, forgive our trespasses. He came back to his car an hour later. There was a note next to his from the policeman. It reads, been riding in this neighborhood for 10 years. Will lose my job if I don't give you a ticket. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> Friends, regardless of the perception of this pastor, and the interpretation of his circumstances, the fact still remains that this sign has power and authority behind it. Logically speaking, he has a point. He's late to his appointment. He wants to keep his credibility. Therefore, why not throw my car in this lot? But that is not how life works. It works when we go by the rule. And the rule is that this word is given to us as a gift. All scripture. When Paul was writing this to Timothy, he was very particular that all scripture, the one that I'm writing you now, it's part of what you had believed that is the Old Testament. Therefore, everything about scripture is given to us by God. And because it is given to us by God, it has authority. Authority to do something unique and definite in our lives. Paul said, this is what this scripture will accomplish in our lives. It's going to be useful to you. But before then, let me address two group of people that might be here this morning. First, those of us whose experience and exposure and encounter with the Bible, and even Christians, is full of hurt, pain, disappointment, regrets. You can name it. 
Or maybe you do not even have any interaction with the Bible. You are skeptical about the Bible. You can't trust the validity of the claims of the Bible. The language of the Bible seems to be very male-dominated. Therefore, it has an inclination of oppression. Whatever might be your concern about the Bible, I want to invite you to consider this as a gift to you. Give it a second thought. I want to invite you to experiment again with this world as we study this time around, not you as an individual, but you in a community of believers who might be sharing the same concern and worry and doubt about the Bible. We come together to read the Bible. Perhaps this time around, an iron will sharpen another iron. And maybe those of us who grew up in the church, we grew up with the Bible in our hands, like Timothy. Not only his parents, his mom in particular, being a believer, but his grandmother. In other words, he has the heritage of being in a Bible-believing uh, family. May I encourage you to be aware that not everyone in your group will have similar experience and privilege. Therefore, as you come to study the Bible, be mindful of the others who do not have the same gift as you do. Paul went ahead to say, not only is the Bible a gift to us, so there is a gain to this scripture. It is useful. John Stott said this about the profitability of Scripture. He said, only the divine origin of Scripture secures and explains its human profit. And Paul uses two uh, statements here to elucidate this fact. One, the usefulness of Scripture leads us to salvation, just like in the case of Timothy in verse 15. He said, you've known this from infancy, therefore you have been led by these words unto salvation. But also, Scripture help us to have a changed life. Paul said this happened in four ways. One, he said, Scripture will teach us. Not only will it teach, it will rebuke, it will correct, and it will train us. To teach means it shows us what is right by conveying to us divine wisdom according to the great questions of human existence. Is there a God? How can I know him? Why am I here? Why is there injustice in the world? What does the future hold for me? How do I know right from wrong? Scripture is able to teach us and give us answers to some of these questions. This and many other... Sorry. This and many other questions are answered in the Bible. 
This time around, from the perspective of the divine author, I submit to you that scripture should be a source book for your life. The next thing Paul talked about is that it shows us what it, it is wrong, that is, scripture rebukes us. The process of making someone aware of sin or convicting one of sin and they're calling us out on some specific misbehavior in our lives. Remember a story of a boy who loved his mother's strawberry jam. She put it on the top shelf and told him not to get into it while she ran some errands. He resisted for a while, but finally he succumbed. He put the chair by the counter, climbed up, and could just reach his finger into the jam. He enjoyed his illicit treat until he had his mother's uh, step. He quickly climbed down and was standing there trying to look very innocent and obedient child when she walked in. His mother said to him, John, have you been in the strawberry jam? He looked straight into her eye and said, no. She repeated, John, have you been in the jam? His eyes fell down to her belt line and said, no. Mom, no. The third time she asked, and this time his eyes fell to her shoes. But he still courageously said, Mom, no. Believe you me, I didn't do that. Then the fourth time she asked him again, John, have you been in the jam? This time around, his eyes traveled from his mom to the center of his belly. Then he noticed a spot there. Friends, sometimes when scripture rebukes us, we redirect the rebuke to someone else. We sometimes will say, oh, this is really good, but it applies to that no good neighbor of mine. If only they have read Emerson. Or even sometimes you might just say, oh, this good stuff is for those obnoxious people in the church, like people in that group. I've once had an interaction with them and I noticed some of these things in their lives. And other times you might say, maybe this is for my wife or for my husband or kids. If only they're reading this the way I'm reading it, our home will be a better place. But if you continue reading with an open heart, you will soon get to a point and you will discover, oh, Lord, I need to deal with this sin. Friends, it is a gift from God that has authority because of his origin. And it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, but also it corrects us. It shows us how to get things right it corrects our improper behavior. 
It is like pressing a reset button in our lives. It helps us to deconstruct our wrong perspective in life. How to mend broken relationships. This scripture also trains us in righteousness. Just like parents who train their kids, teaching them the various social graces, morals of life, the relational skill, useful habits that they will grow with. So does God train us through his word. When you look at these four uses, or usefulness, or profitability, or profit, whatever you want to call it, of scripture. They fall into two broad categories. One is a right belief and a right practice. Our belief should be foundational to our practice. It's what Paul is drawing the attention of Timothy. At Timothy, because you have known scripture from your inference. It's not sufficient for you to have knowledge. It should form doctrines, beliefs in you that will become evident in the way you will live. Because if your belief is different from other people's belief, so also should your practice or should your action be different from others. In other words, this scripture should distinguish you from others in your belief, in your practice. How are we able to do this? Paul again writing to one of his Spiritual son in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passion, and to live a life of self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, there is an available grace for you to live a victorious Christian life. If only you can access it. By accessing, I mean, if only you can agree with God. The Holy Spirit enables you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. But he does not stop there. He goes further to teach you to say yes to positive things. What are you struggling with? There is power for you to say no to that. But also power to embrace what is right. Not only is scripture gainful to us, it has a goal. And here Paul tells us two goals specifically. He said one, it will make you mature. And the second one is going to equip you to do good service. That a man or the woman of God may be made adequate, may be made complete, 
baby made mature whole. Of sound body, of sound mind, fully grown. Especially something fitted for its intended purpose. Since God made you for his purpose, only his word, not this world's wisdom is able to fit you for that purpose. The Bible will enable you to form a Christian worldview so that you think and respond to all life as God intends. There is no such thing as a mature man or woman of God apart from being strong. In the word of God. But even when you are made mature, maturity is not the end in itself. You are made mature so that you can be active in good service. He said, so that you be equipped for every good work. Totally equipped for every good work. Means to be furnished or supplied. You will have adequate resources to minister, to live peacefully, graciously with others. It is not mere theory. You have proven through experience in the crucible of life the truth of God's commandments and principles in his word. Thus, you can confidently impart the truth to others because you aren't imparting, imparting your own ideas about life, but rather the very words of God which you have applied to your life and proved its reliability. The question is, how will you engage with these words in the next six weeks? 16 weeks, sorry. How will you? Will you come with a posture ready to be shaped by this world? Will you come with all of your skepticism and say, I will give you the benefit of doubt. Let me try this again and see if this time around is going to work. I'm not, ask, I'm not inviting you to, to change your view about scripture. No, come with all of the baggage, whatever. All I'm inviting you is come with everything about you into the scripture and allow scripture to speak to you. Again, I'm going to state it. I'm not inviting you to change your view before coming to scripture. No, come with everything to the scripture and let this word speak to you. If this is true that it's from God, let it defend itself. It is a gift from God, therefore authoritative. God does not need any one of us to make his word relevant. It is relevant already. If anything, I struggle not to make it irrelevant. What is the implication of this? I'm hoping that the characters in the Bible will allow you to see yourself in the pages of Scripture. I don't have the time to talk to us about, particularly if you go back home, read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 from verses 1 through 17. You come across some very interesting women. I, I use that purposefully. Someone like Rahab, like Ruth, Bethsheba. You come across them 
in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I begin to ask myself, supposing we are going to apply the one drop rule to these people, David wouldn't have been qualified to be the king of Israel. You go back, you even read the story of Judah having children with his daughter-in-law. So, oh, this is an old practice. This is not new. And that's why I said, come with everything to the scripture. And you also notice that this is God's work. And the invitation is that when you come, allow this word to speak to you. The second implication is that when you come, the diversity of understanding in our group should call for humility. That none of us is self-sufficient. None of us have all the knowledge. And therefore, as we share, we're able to bring check and balances. And therefore, we are left with the option of being humble. And the last is that as you read this, you might be tempted to say, ah, oh, this is 16 weeks already and nothing has happened to my life. I was thinking that after the first two, three, five weeks at most, something dramatic will happen in my life. To some, yes, it might be true. To some of us, it's going to take about a year or two or three or five or ten. I don't know. Why so? Because the way we measure growth sometimes is problematic. What do I mean? You go, you sow a seed today, it takes a few days for it to germinate. If you are like my girl, she went to her, our, our small garden, planted something, and she was expecting that the next day she goes, boom, it's there, it's ready for harvest. It takes time. But that is not where the problem lies. The problem lies when you sow a seed, and for whatever reason, natural cause, in particular this time around, the rain comes and washes the seed from the seed of Chicago to the suburb of Deerfield. And God decides to allow the seed to grow over there. Here, you are thinking that you've lost the seed, no growth. And therefore, in your conclusion, it's of no use. But the seed is growing elsewhere. What do I mean by this? You might look at your life today and you are thinking that this thing has not had any impact on me. Let me say this to you. That the seed of God, that is the word of God as a seed, is incorruptible. It can never, never be wasted. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah... He tells us that his word cannot come out and go back empty. It will fulfill the purpose for which it was sent. The issue of timing is not ours. What we need to do is what a, a wise farmer will do. Just be patient and watch. Do yours and wait until it grows. Friends, scripture is authoritative. 
authoritative because it comes from God it is useful and therefore it equips us to do God's work in God's way amen we are going to pray now but this is what we are going to do we are going to pray in peace we are going to pray for one another invite you to find a partner you pray for your partner and your partner will pray for you you ask God to allow this word that is a gift from him to benefit you in this next 16 weeks